Hey, Stephen Key here, and today I have a very, very, very special guest, Lisa Lloyd, um, which I've known for, she told me, 20, 25 years, is that right? 25 years, okay. yeah. And what's really nice, everybody that's listening uh, today, uh, Lisa really knows what she's doing. I mean, she's the real deal. In fact, 25 years ago, um, I had met my partner, Andrew Krauss, and we wanted to start an educational program called InventRight. And the person I called, in fact, the only person I called that really knew what they were doing that had a program was Lisa Lloyd. <laughs> and, wow. she, and she was so kind to, to help us. And that's very unusual because most people would not have done that. So, Lisa, I cannot thank you enough for helping us get started. Thank you. It's a privilege, and you've done amazing things with it, so I'm so excited to be here. Well, you gave us the roadmap of what to do because you were like the pioneer. Um, and this industry is a little funny because a lot of people don't give give things away, right? And they don't educate, and you're an educator, and you always have been. So I'm, I'm fish, right? Well, I think it's important to, to help others, and I think you know it. And what I like about what you've done I mean, you just don't talk about it. You've done it, you know, and I want to talk a little bit about your history. Let's go. Let's step back a little bit. Okay. Sure. All right. Um, you've started um, an inventors club in Arizona, right? I did. Uh, shortly after my first invention, the French Twister, I licensed to Skunsi and I uh, was getting inundated with phone calls from people because of the publicity. We leveraged it and um, people wanted to know how to do what I did. And it was overwhelming. And after a few of those meetings, we realized that we needed to have some sort of a group. And I had read in the back of David Pressman's book about okay. these inventors associations and there was nothing like it in Arizona. So my mother and I co-founded the nonprofit inventors association of Arizona. Okay. And it's still going on today. That's right. It, it is. Uh, it, that's awesome, too, to see because I stepped away about 12 years ago or so, 10, 12 years ago, completely. And um, they've done an amazing job. Laura, in particular, the executive director, has been there for a long time and has really poured her heart into not just keeping it going, but growing it. So okay. that's exciting. All right. Um, I'm going to talk about your products in just a minute, though, because like I said, you've licensed ideas, you've worked with some really big companies, so you know you know the whole process. But also, you were the president of the United Inventors Association at one time. Is that correct, too? I was for a year. In fact, after we started the Inventors Association and we had 99 people join at our very first meeting and we were charging $75 a year, which at the time was a lot of money and probably still is. Um, but when other organizations were really fledgling and struggling to get people to join for free, the, the UIA called and asked what we were doing. And so we shared our bylaws and our organization structure and what we were doing. And uh, that led to me being invited to not only be on the board, but to to run it as president. And that's still going on today, correct? That's been going on for a long time. Yeah, the UIA has been around long before me, and I'm sure it will be around long after me. Okay. Now, let's talk about um, one of the products that you licensed. It's a hair accessory, right? We're going to show that up on the screen, but... How Most you... of our hair accessories, Stephen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so was it easy, um, because everybody's always asking, is it easy to get into companies? How, how easy was it for you to, to reach out? Once you had that idea, how easy was it to reach out to those guys? Reaching out to the companies was very easy. Um, and at the time, this was before we had 
the proliferation of the internet. So it was more a process of going to the stores, which we still encourage people to do, right? And see who the brands were, look at the back of the packaging, find out who to contact, and just calling them and asking what, if any, licensing practices that they had and pursue them that way. All right, wonderful. And did they treat you pretty good? Absolutely. It was interesting because it was before what we have now as an invention industry. It didn't exist. Um, So it was, look, I've got this idea. I've got a patent pending on it. Is it something you would be interested in licensing? And it was usually several people to get to the right person. Um, And then ultimately, even in talking through it, no one really knew for sure what that process might look like with the exception of Goody, which then in fact, during that time, got acquired by Newell Rubbermaid and, and their business model changed. So they had a little bit of a business practice there, but Scuncy had worked with a couple of inventors before me. And so um, they had a process in place and that made it much more fluid. Okay, wonderful. Um, now, you've been on TV before. I mean, you're pretty popular. You were on the Donnie Deutsch show back a couple of years back, huh? Once or twice I've been on TV. Yeah, Donnie right. Deutsch, Dr. Phil, Ananda right. Lewis. Yep. Wow. Okay. And, um, but also Shark Tank too. I mean, you were just on Shark Tank a couple of years ago, right? And gosh, no, that was almost 10 years ago now. Can you believe it? It was season one. I'm not sure I would be invited if it were season 10 because at the time they were struggling to find people to audition. (laughs) So they came to me at a trade show where I had just pitched and won the pitch, pitch it to the pros competition. Billy Mays and Anthony Sullivan had been putting on. Um, In fact, that was unfortunately just about a month before he passed away. Billy Mays passed away. But the producer asked me if I would audition. And it's funny because I said, "Mm, no, she said it's a new show being produced by. um, um, uh, Oh, my goodness, Mark. Burnett. 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 Thank you very much, Mark Burnett. And my, I immediately went to Survivor and thinking I had to eat bugs for my business. I was like, yeah, no, that's okay. Not for me. She says, no, 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 it's okay. I'll send you some clips. And they sent me clips from Dragon's Den because they hadn't, they had no show. Right. And I looked at them pitching and I thought, okay, yeah, I got this. So uh, I still had to send in an audition, but they called me just a few days after they got it. And I was asked to be on the program. Okay, great. And you're, um, who is your coach? I mean, who who's the shark that picked you up? Damon John. He's a nice guy too, isn't he? Yeah, I actually got three offers. Um, Robert Hershevik, Mark Q. I'm oh, sorry, Mark Cuban. Uh, Robert Hershevik, Damon John, and Barbara Corcoran. Okay. And right. Damon and Barbara went in together on a deal for me. Okay, wonderful. That's so the reason I- why the reason why I want I wanted to uh, introduce you to everyone is that um, you know what you're doing. Number one and Thank you. Yeah. And you've been doing it for years and years and years. And but you've got you've learned something new. You told me. Yeah. Okay. And I thought it was really important. And I wanted everybody to hear this because I asked someone the other day, in fact, a a couple of professional inventors, how do they invent? Mm -hmm. And they really struggled with it. Right. (laughs) And I was surprised because I thought. Well, if you're doing this for a living and you're a professional, how do you do it? And they just couldn't really put it down in words. But you have figured it out. I have. And if you have, in fact, many people did ask me, which is why I started the Inventors Association and built the course. So you have a great idea now what the you and I were talking about at the beginning of this program. And I knew I could teach people the process that I went through, but I didn't know why it worked. 
And in the last 10 years, I've spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours um, pouring through articles and researching not only what the professional innovation world is doing and what their best practices are, but um, speaking with innovation leaders, CIOs at Fortune 500 companies and product managers. And all of a sudden it hit me um, about a year ago that there was something so simple and so um, basic that I couldn't believe I hadn't figured out what it was that I did already. And that was this. Uh, I read a book by Clayton Christensen called uh, Competing Against Luck. And in it, he explains jobs to be done theory, which was basically invented back in the late 60s. But he so succinctly boils it down in simple and easy to under, understand terms that I it was like a checklist. Yep, yep, yep. I did all that. Oh, that's why I had seven patents and all of them licensed because I invented solutions that sell. That's and in understanding that process now, I'm. I want to translate it. He, he's done an amazing job translating it for, the I think, the professional innovator in, at the corporate level. But I wanted to even further distill it down for the independent inventor. So um, it, between jobs to be done theory and the dramatic difference, how do you get to that wow factor? That's the process now that I am really excited about sharing with people. So you've taken what you've learned by working with Fortune 500 companies, how they innovate. Mm-hmm. And you've really brought it now to the level of an independent inventor can understand it and use some of those same principles. Is that correct? Exactly. Well, so, Stephen, let me ask you, um, does it frustrate you that the, the industry supposed standard rate, industry failure rate is still at 98%? We're not really sure what that number is, but it's frustrating, right? It's high. <laughs> Uh, it's high, no doubt. Um, and I'm sure it's better with your students. I mean, I see these emails once a week with people getting licenses. So that's uh, fabulous. Yeah, we try to make it a little easier. But yes, it's still hard. I mean, I don't, well, let's put it this way. I, the process, I don't think is, is difficult, like you said, reaching out to companies. But coming up with good ideas that they want, that's, that's a little trickier. That's it. And how do you identify? So so it, I've spoken with so many leaders that make decisions about licensing and I've asked, um, why don't you license more often? Okay. What's happening? And the answer may be worded different, but the answer is consistently the same. The number one answer is because they don't invent solutions that will sell. They're not good enough solutions. They are great. Inventors are consumers. So we identify problems, real problems but we don't know how to solve them. We don't understand, like you've, you've said in many of your courses and on in your books, um, you have to understand the manufacturing process. You have to understand cost of goods. You have to understand how to then go out and create a sell sheet and solicit it properly. You have to understand selling and negotiating skills. You can teach someone all of those things, but if their solution isn't dramatically better enough, then all of those things done well won't add up to a hill of beans for the company, right? So identifying how to really um, solve a problem in a way, particularly with a minimum viable product, right? Whether it's just one improvement, you talk about a simple idea, that one improvement still has to be a big enough improvement to get people to make the switch from whatever they're currently doing. So if I'm currently dusting with a sock, you better create a solution that's going to make me want to go spend money. Or if I'm loyal to a brand, 
you better create a solution that is going to not be so scary for me to make the switch and try. Yeah, people always ask us all the time because we tell them, look, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Make a small improvement on an existing idea, just enough where it's new and improved. It makes it really easy for people to do that. But they always ask me, what is that? How much is that? Is magic. Is it 10%, 15%? What is that? So that's what you're talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And the answer is it's not a percentage. It's a wow. It's, you know, you've hit it. And this is the, this is the test. All right. You know, you've hit it when you can show it to people and they say, wow, where can I get that now? That's the difference you're looking for. Now, if you've done that well, it makes everything else. You still have to do these other things in your process well to get there, but it makes everything in that process a downhill battle instead of an uphill battle. So I want that wow factor to be when the manufacturer looks at it and says, wow, yeah, that would be great. We can totally slide that into our process and make that well. Um, for the distributor, wow, yeah, I can sell the hell out of this. Okay. Um, for the retailer, wow, yeah, that fits on our shelf and it will it will drive more sales into our or traffic into our store. It has to be wow for all of the constituencies. Okay. That's so, how you know you've hit it. Everybody that's in the room. So, um, yeah. is there one thing that people can do today to understand that a little bit? Because I want to talk about how people can get a hold of you because you don't. You don't have anything to sell. You're not selling anything today. Is that correct? Come on. You're not selling a thing. I know. Isn't that terrible? I probably should probably figure out how to make a living. Maybe I'll, I'll ask you for advice on how to write a book about this. Um, I think, and I am working on how to deliver this content in a process for people, but um, I think the best advice I could give to people would be, I'm working on a new product right now. I have a new mop and I have a call in fact today. I hope to license it. And as I went through the iteration process, the reduction of practice, you start with the idea, you see the problem, now I need to solve it. As I went through the solution options, um, I had to consider, obviously, all the people who have to touch it on the path to commercialization, manufacturing, et cetera, as we've discussed. Um, but I also needed to reduce it, just come up with the minimum viable product that would be enough to create that wow so it's, it genuinely solved the problem well enough that it would cause people to make a switch. And I've tested that up against, confidentially, of course, with experts, people that I know, both in the licensing business. Hey, what do you think? In fact, before I even built it, I spoke with the person that I'm following up with today. Um, and he's the CEO of a, a massive licensor, or licensee. Excuse me. Um, what do you think? Would this solution be worth licensing. And he said, absolutely. I love it. Um, I tested it with a friend of mine who's the innovation manager at ping, who's an engineer. Do you see any challenges with manufacturing or processes here that could potentially be weak links and that sort of thing. And then the rest of it's just gut and my own inner circle. Is this a big enough problem to solve? So you're really, one of the things that you're telling everybody, you have to have kind of a team that you can go to and ask those questions that, that are experienced in those particular areas that can, Absolutely. yeah, that can give you the thumbs up or thumbs down, or maybe, maybe you have to retweak it or rethink it. That's pretty important. It is, and collaboration is really helpful because you only know what you know. You don't know what you don't know, right? So as you move forward, you get new learnings, and you have to test each of those new learnings and go back 
and maybe iterate or pivot or whatever that process is for you. But look, we call ourselves inventors. The best part of inventing, I love licensing, don't get me wrong, I love my checks. But I really love solving the problem. That's the most exciting part for me. So going back to the store 10 times, I hate going to the grocery store for food when I'm hungry. But going back to the store 10 times to keep iterating on this idea until I really got where I felt like it was ready to pitch was so much fun. How do you find, Lisa, how do you find those people that you can kind of lean on or ask? I mean, how did you find them and how can other people find them? Yeah, so it's a lot of, obviously, it's a lot easier for us now. Um, We have a lot of relationships. So reaching out to people who either have those relationships. But in the earlier days, I would say what I did well and didn't know I did was I took the time to go to people who were experts in different domains and whether it was on a local level, buying them lunch like a patent attorney. Is this patentable? How does that work? Am I going to have any possible challenges with this kind of a concept? And I got the feedback I needed. I went to a manufacturer and under all, of course, under NDA, how would something like this be made? And in fact, what we found out with the French Twister, little insight, I originally made it with wire and foam around it to roll up and make a French Twist. And when I went to the manufacturer, there were no manufacturers in town that could do that process. And I ended up with an injection molder. And he said, here's how we could do it. And I've redesigned it for the purpose of manufacturing at the price point that he and I discussed and then patented that idea instead. Right. And that was through his feedback. I wouldn't have known any better. Yeah, that's really, that's really smart to have that information. How important is it to go to trade shows to meet these type of people? Is that is that one way to do that? It's a, if you can afford to do that, it's really valuable. And I would say if somebody wants to be a professional inventor, um, making that a part of your business practice is necessary. I've, I've heard you say this also, um, focusing on a specific niche, certain industry, to become an expert in that space is really helpful because those companies are seeing products all day, every day, and they may be able to tell you, don't, don't waste your time or whatever, uh, so, or vice versa. Lisa, how does someone that's just starting out and maybe they're going to reach out to someone that could potentially be a mentor on LinkedIn, how, what would you recommend that they say? Because so, I know you reach out to a lot of people and you've got that skill, but how does how do other people do that? I'm just starting out, I'm, I'm, I'm educating myself, and I know this one person has maybe some information I need. What's, what's the right approach? Do I just go in there hard or do I go a little softer? Do I do some homework? What do I do? I, uh, that's a really good question. It's a smart question. Um, the, the best advice I feel anyone could get would be authentic, authenticity, um, showing up humble. So whenever I reach out to someone, the very first note that I give them in my connection request is it would be a privilege to connect. And that's it. I'm not asking for anything. I'm not selling anything. It's just it would really be a privilege to connect, okay. which I mean, it's honest. And then once we've connected, a quick note. Um, I, I have an idea in your space. Would it be okay to pick your brain from time to time and get your feedback? People love to give advice. They love it. And when you are respectful of their time and their advice, it doesn't mean you have to follow it because they're not always right, but they always have advice, right? So if you respect their their time, even the bad advice is still telling you something. It's either telling you about the ignorance in the space that you need to be prepared to overcome 
as a challenge, or it could be very powerful information and insights that you wouldn't have gotten any other way that are that are accurate. Wonderful, because I know you're a master at doing that too. <laughs> at picking people's brains. <laughs> so we're going to put together um, down below everyone that's listening down below. There's going to be Lisa's contact information. If you if you want to reach out to her, ask a few questions, get on her email list. She's going to have a program coming out soon. She'll tell you all about it. But like I said at the very beginning of this 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 video that we're doing, she knows what she's doing. She's one of the best. I've been following her forever. In fact, that's how I even got started because she was so helpful for me. Thank you, Stephen. That's a, a real honor. I appreciate that. I, you don't always get to see. You're fortunate in that you have the follow-up with your students, so you get to promote that and let, let the world know. I don't know the people that have gone on to be successful because they've gone on and just done it. And we've, you know, it, it's nice to see what you've done with it and all the people that you've helped. Well, I think we, you and I have the same mission I think we had from day one. And oh, that's yeah. the reason why I think we've been talking for so many years. Um, your heart's always been in the right place. I like someone that's actually done it. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to help, but they maybe they haven't followed patents or maybe they're not even really an inventor. They're more of a service provider. So right. uh, there's a lot of those guys out there that are trying to be an expert, but you are one. So Thank you. And you know, I would add this one last thing too, in terms of the reason companies don't sell, the, the second reason, um, which is fairly far behind, but not too far, is that it's not a big enough problem. And so how do you know if it's a big enough problem? When they say that, it's important to note that it doesn't just mean for the consumer, because if it fits if it's a big enough problem for five people and that company only cares about five people, then that's fine. The big enough problem has to be addressed with relevant to the companies that you intend to license to. And if it's a larger company and say, for example, they have uh, their business model requires them to have a 40% margin. It doesn't matter if there's billions of people, if it doesn't hit that margin, it's immediately kicked out of their funnel and you don't even have the option opportunity. Um, if it's a, a company that requires a 25% move of the needle year over year in revenue, gross revenue, and your product is only going to make a small impact on that, then they can't allocate the time and resources. So you have to consider how it's solving a problem for your licensee, not just for your consumer. Nice. Thanks. Lisa, you're the best. <laughs> you are. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everybody. Thank you for watching. Subscribe down below. We'll have Lisa back on when she's got the program ready to sell. Lisa, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, Stephen. Have a good one.